welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, my name is Jenna. If I haven't met you before, I have been attending Awaken now for coming up on two years. Um, I have recently become like a more official part of the church, and then I get to help with the student ministries here. So we've been going strong for about a month and a half, and I'm having a great time. If you want the real deal, you can talk to the leaders and students, but I'm having a great time. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's been good. I attend Bethel Seminary, so I'm in my second year of four, kind of in that stage of like head down, power through, let's get this over with. <laughs> but I have a long time. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of what gets me up here um, and filling in for Micah as he's in Chicago for a church planting conference, I think, with the Covenant. So hopefully he's having a good time. Um, We are continuing in 2 Corinthians today. So I don't know, this has probably been the longest time we've been in one book from the time that I've been here, which I, I love because I, well, Sloan Steady wins the race, you guys. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open that to 2, 12 through 17, and stand if you are able to hear the word of God. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Let's pray. Lord, I acknowledge that all of us bring something in the room today. And I ask that you would speak to that. Whether that is a happy thing, a thing of anticipation, or something heavy and shameful. Lord, we trust that you are a God that honors those broken things in us and loves those broken things in us. And I ask that your presence would be heavy in this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So like I said, we've been here since January. And in order to kind of get the full weight of these words and this passage, um, it's important to kind of Look at where we've been, so we know where we're going. Um, So for some, this might be a review. For some, this is brand new. Uh, What we know about 2 Corinthians is that a lot of what we've been talking about up until now is Paul's, like, relational struggles with the Corinthians. We know that his initial visit to the Corinthians did not go very well. There was some bad things that kind of came out of it. 
Uh, his leadership has been questioned. His apostleship has been questioned. We know that he was a no-show for a second intended visit, and that was kind of like adding fuel to the fire. Like, it went bad the first time, and now you're a flake. <laughs> Thanks. We know the reason why he didn't show up. In chapter 2, it says he didn't come to spare them. He didn't come because he didn't want his presence to grieve them. And he loves them. So he wrote a letter instead. And we know that there are four letters that have been written to the Corinthians by Paul. At least that's what we think. We have two of them, first and second Corinthians in the scriptures, and the other two we don't have. And one of these letters is called the, letters of, the letter of tears. Now, we don't have that letter, but if in second Corinthians later in this book, Paul is like addressing incest in the community, I can only imagine what the letter of tears <laughs> contains. And so that kind of brings us to where we are now, um, at a really a transition point in the letter. And these first two verses, I don't know if you remember, Paul is essentially saying, okay, that time when I was supposed to visit you, this is what I was actually doing. I went to Troas because God opened a door for the gospel, which is essentially to say people are responding to the gospel. They're being receptive to the gospel. It's going well. But he couldn't find his brother Titus. He had no peace of mind, so he left. Pretty straightforward. But there are some things here that we need to look at. Titus was the one who delivered the letter of tears to the Corinthians. So not only is he delivering the news and this potential confrontation, Paul seeing Titus again is essentially Titus saying how it went. Like, this is how you were received in this community. So yeah, that probably would warrant no peace of mind. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I have conflict and unresolved conflict, there's nothing that makes me more obsessive <laughs> than knowing how my words hit someone. The other thing to mention is just in regards to Paul's journey to Macedonia. One of the main themes of 2 Corinthians is Paul's suffering as an apostle. Like I mentioned earlier, his apostleship is questioned, his leadership is questioned, and this particular journey was marked with hardship. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul says that he, him and the people that he's with, they felt like they were facing a sentence of death. Those are some pretty heavy words that your suffering brings you to a place of death. He's getting hit pretty hard. And I don't know about you, but I know that if I feel this, I'm probably not alone. But sometimes when I open this book and I read about Paul's hardships, I don't really connect with it because I'm not an apostle. I didn't live his life. I didn't live his story. I work in a call center. I go to school. I have a pretty good life. I've had some hard things. But I don't know what Paul's talking about. My mind has been changing lately about that. Here's the deal. Pain is pain. Anxiety feels like anxiety. Despair feels like despair. And so whether you have a high tolerance 
for these struggles, or you are particularly sensitive and can't take a whole lot, which isn't anything bad, it just... We face different circumstances. We make different decisions that bring us there. So my point is, when I read that Paul has no peace of mind, I know what that feels like. And I know what it means to leave something good because I don't have peace of mind. And so all of that to say in these two little verses that are really just details, I think we can find ourselves there. And it's important because of where we go next. I don't know if you felt when I was reading a drastic transition. All of a sudden, Paul is saying, but thanks be to God. (laughs) And you are not alone in feeling that. Scholars call this the great digression. (laughs) And they actually, it's 2.14 to 7.4. People have questioned whether or not this is actually part of the original letter. Some have said that this is a letter in itself. But I don't think we need to go there. Because I think Paul does this all the time. Where he will be saying in some letter, I I was hanging out with these people and it was going really well, but love. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not there with you, but I will go there with you, Paul. I I don't get it. And I think there's something here. I think... What Paul is doing is he's interpreting his hardship. And I think that is a human tendency that is like a knee-jerk reaction for all of us, especially in light of suffering, especially if you are a follower of Jesus. Because the reality is is that if, if you believe in a God that is inherently good and there is no evil in this God and bad things are happening, like how do you reconcile those things? And where I don't think Paul is, is at the place of questioning God, I think what he's doing is saying, here are these circumstances. Here's this tension between you and me, Corinthians. But God. But God. I went to a church that said you could preach entire sermons on those two words. But God. It's as if he's saying, come up here from a different vantage point. What is this in the eyes of God? I lost my place. Sorry. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So this triumphal procession, not exactly a common phrase, not exactly an image that conjures familiar things for us, and it is actually an image that is difficult to interpret and could actually be problematic. Triumphal procession, most likely what Paul is using here in that image is a reference to the Roman army. So when a Roman army would go in and conquer a city, and it it commonly was in, I guess, large conquests, 
what would happen is this parade, this triumphal procession, would go through the city, and the Roman general and the key military leaders were the ones that were being honored. But the main spectacle of this processional were the captives, the prisoners of war. And they were paraded through the city. Now some, there, there are kind of a couple ways that we can choose to look at this. And some, and this is a, a very common interpretation, Christ is the victor. So Paul using this image, like Christ has defeated sin and death, He's over it, and we, the, captive, the captives in his procession, are on display for the world to see. Okay? That works. But if we look at this image and kind of chase after all of the implications here, the captives were in the most shameful position you could be in. You were being publicly ridiculed and humiliated, and... You were being led to your death. The captives were the key military leaders in the conquered city, and they were being led to their death. Not only that, you are likening God to a Roman general. And when somebody hears the Roman general, oppressor, tyrant. So for some, this image is problematic, because that's what you just said about Jesus. Usually, people who go with the former interpretation say, you know, Paul didn't really mean it to the full extent. And you guys, I just, how do you know that? What if Paul does mean it with all of its implications? Why not go there? I've had to sit in this for a long time in preparation for today. And you know, it's not a problem for me anymore. And here's why. Jesus. Sunday school answer, Jesus. I look at John 8. And if Jesus is the most true image of God that we have as humans, John 8 was the story of the woman caught in adultery, who was also led in a walk of shame to be stoned by the religious leaders to her death. Jesus protects her. Jesus shields her from her oppressors, the religious leaders, and says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they walked away. And she was left alone with a gentle and good God. This same Jesus walked willingly and peacefully into a shameful death. At Awaken, I think it's safe to say that we strongly affirm that Jesus is a God of participation. This is not a God who desires cheering solely. He wants us to step in. He wants us to be transformed by the process, to lean into our death and our suffering so that he might be alive in that. And death in Christ is different. It is not death for death's sake. It is not death for something or someone to end. It is death so that life may happen. So that there's room for new things to be renewed 
and restored. Death is often the starting point of something new. So I don't think it is a stretch of the imagination that Paul really did mean that image in its fullness. But in Christ's procession, we are being led to life through death. Oftentimes, as they would make their way through the city, incense and perfume would be burned. And as this processional would make it straight through, this fragrance would linger in the air. And the text says that to God, we, the captives, are the aroma of Christ. In Christ, covered in Christ, sealed in Christ, we smell like Christ <laughs> to God. And that is no small thing. That as we hold these burdens and suffering, regardless of what brought us there, whether it was us that walked in or whether it was something that happened, we smell good. And to those around us, it could be either. When I was in college, I was a hot mess. Hot mess. Every day was hard. And without getting into too many details about that suffering, I, like Paul, was near death. It was a combination of everything right. It was a right combination of everything wrong. It was awful. I'm an anxiety person. I suck at transition. That's my mom. <laughs> Just laughing because she knows. <laughs> it's very true. And I was in college. And I went to school in Chicago, away from home. Awful things happened, and I didn't have the strength to handle it. And I had a friend who was suffering more than me. The only thing I got involved in in college was homeless ministries. And I laugh because in college, like, the stereotype of college is that this is like the social life all the time. Built-in friends. <laughs> and I got involved in one thing, very reluctantly. And the only reason I did is because I know that God told me to. And I say those words very carefully because about nine out of ten times when I feel like God is telling me something, I, I don't actually know, like, this could be me making it up, but I'll do it. But one in ten times, there is no hesitation. I know God is shoving me into this. And I fought tooth and nail. Because that's how I am. <laughs> so I went one night. And I introduced myself to the leader, which was a big deal. Like part of this struggle is I had horrible social anxiety. And I introduced myself, and she shook my hand, and I said, hey, I'm Jenna. I haven't met you yet. And she said, oh, and walked away from me. And I shut down. I am like, no. I'm not dealing with this. I do not have the capacity 
to be vulnerable and to put myself out there and be rejected. It's not going to happen, so yeah, you told me to do this thing, God. No. And the nagging wouldn't stop. So then I told God to leave me alone. On the condition that every Friday for the rest of my college career, I would go. Just not yet. So January 15th was my first day back from break. I had a panic attack before. But I went. And I stepped out of that van. And this man (laughs) came running towards me and hugged me and said, I'm so glad you're here. And the relief that I felt, because I had a conversation and I didn't have to do the awkward linger, it was unparalleled. And I learned about this man. His name was John. I remember in one part of the conversation, John said, pray for John the alcoholic. And it was like, Instinctually, I said, John, what's your last name? Miller. John Miller. Yeah, we'll, we'll pray for John Miller. And his eyes changed. And it occurred to me that, that maybe he had never thought of himself as anything but his addiction. And as this conversation continued, he shared things with me. And and yes, his addiction brought him to the streets. It ruined his life. He shared with me his utter despair. And although I I didn't know, I, I don't know what that's like, I heard myself in it, in that despair. And he kept saying, Jenna, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're a college student. You have the world at your fingertips. And after about the fourth time, I said, John, you know what I do? I do get it. Because here's the deal. I don't want to get up in the morning. It's hard for me to do that. I don't know if God wants me. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know how to do life. And his eyes changed again. Because he got it. And then he trusted me. He had committed his life to Christ, recommitted, 14 days earlier with the new year. And he was serious about it, and he needed it. And by the end of this evening, we used to um, kind of gather in a circle, and we would pray, and it was just the leader. It was a generic prayer, pretty straightforward. And John interrupted, said, I want to pray. And I have, sorry, I've told this story so many times, and every time, I want to pray. And he yelled at the top of his lungs, Abba, you have changed me. And I never saw him again. My mom 
said. I think he was an angel. <laughs> Maybe he was. I can't see my notes anymore. <laughs> People told me to be careful. They didn't trust my involvement with these people. They were worried about me. But they didn't get that I needed it. It smelled like death to them. The urine and the B.O. Smelled like death. But to me, and to those who got it, it was life. And to God, it was life. And I don't tell this story, thank you, thank you. I don't tell this story to make everyone feel guilty, because you're not involved with the homeless population. Um, <laughs> and it's, that's, a, that's a pretty story. I mean, not necessarily, but it's, it's one of those mountaintop stories that we like to share from the top. <laughs> I mention this to say that there is life and death all around us. It is in your workplace. And if you are working with mentally ill or abuse victims, places where death lingers very obviously, it's there. But I would also say if you're in corporate America, it's there too. And it's in our families, and it's in our family business that has more dysfunction than profit. Mom. <laughs> It's in our neighborhoods, and we are around it. And we are the aroma. Who is equal to such a task, Paul says? We are. What a crazy thing that we are invited into this and that our suffering is not for nothing. We are in the season of Lent, a time in the Christian calendar marked with death, time of refrain and abstinence, preparing ourselves for life. And so if everything I said feels abstract and you don't know what to do with it, there's your starting point. What is that thing? So what we'll do here is invite Ben and the band to come back up and I want you to just sit and listen to the words of these songs as they fall over you. I want you to hold your suffering and what you bring in the room today. And it can be good. Like, it doesn't always have to be sad. <laughs> and I want you to be present to what God is bringing to you. Thank you. online at www.awakencommunity.com 
or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter, Awakening Community. See you next time.